Welcome to the Pessol, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Pandemic Food. That 15 pound bag of rice is waiting to be cooked. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Silver Doe, the best true crime novel since Truman Capote. Leave the lights on when you read Darby Hart's The Silver Doe. <laughs> I slipped into VO voice there for a second. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, writing, directing, editing. We use all of that inside acting and other such stuff. And we use all of that as we uh, pull apart films, see what they're made of. Uh, that's why we're the pestle. We grind it up and make a little movie dough. And then we sling it around for some movie pizza um, or something. I don't know. I don't know what that where that's going. Um, we are perpetually in an Alamo draft house. <laughs> that's, that's true. That actually, yeah, I went to back-to-back movies the last two days and it was glorious. Yeah, I haven't oh, been able to really go ah, for the last couple of weeks. And so I was like, okay. I think my headspace is clear enough where I can focus and watch people do superhuman acts of everything that happens in movies these days. Um, and yeah, so we we analyze films um, and it's fun. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm really excited about today. We got a lot going on. And so, uh, yeah, let's just dive right in. What are we covering today? Today we are covering Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. So if you haven't seen this film, please pause this episode and go watch it because there's going to be a lot that we're going to spoil if you haven't seen it. You're right. We're going to spoil it all, just like Clint. And so we'll we'll cover a bunch of things. We'll definitely look at some of the cinematography, contrast, silhouetting. Uh, We'll look into some of the story and writing. Will versus Bill deserves got nothing to do with it. Uh, And then at the very end, stay tuned because we have a special treat a new Mad Valley track called All of Me. Very excited about that. And we're going to cover all of that and other such stuff and things and stuff. In a quick synopsis of the film, Mm -hmm. retired Old West gunslinger William Money reluctantly takes on one last job with the help of his old partner Ned and a young man, the Schofield Kid. It's directed by Clint Eastwood, screenplay by David Webb Peoples, cinematography by Jack N. Green, featuring Clint Eastwood as William Money, Gene Hackman as Little Bill, Morgan Freeman as Ned, James Woolvet as the Schofield Kid, Richard Harris as English Bob, Saul Rubinek as Mr. Bochamp, and Anna Thompson as Delilah. Well done. She don't like it much, does she? You riding off with me. Sally? You gave me the evil eye. Well, you know, Sally's engine... Engines ain't over friendly, Will. Don't blame her. I ain't gonna hold it against her. She knew me back then. She knew what a no good son of a bitch I was. She just ain't allowing that I changed. She don't realize I ain't like that no more. Well, you know, Will. Ain't the same, Ned. Claudia, she straightened me up, cleared me of drinking whiskey and all. Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm going to go back to being the way I was. I just need the money. Get a new start for them youngsters. Yeah. 
Ned, you remember that drover I shot through the mouth and his teeth came out the back of his head? I think about him now and again. He didn't do anything to deserve to get shot. At least nothing I could remember when I sobered up. He was one crazy son of a bitch, Will. Yeah, no one liked me. The boys all thought I was gonna shoot him out of pure meanness. Well, you ain't like that no more. So, I don't know the last time you saw this. It sounds like it's been a while. Uh, last week you had trouble remembering which old Western film this was even. And so, um, how do they go for you in terms of the flow of the movie? Um, was there a point where you, uh, you suddenly bought in or was it a... a a good film in what we kind of expect from movies today. Yeah. And, and then in general, like Western films, yay or nay. Yeah. I've never seen this movie. Whoa. I never saw it. No yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, when it came out, I was 12 and, yeah. and that was not a movie that my parents would let me see when I was 12. This was the sure. first movie I bought an R rated ticket for. I was way Ooh. underage. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I'm typically not a Western fan. Like I, I'm, I just it's not my mm. style. I just think that they're um, usually like very tropish, you know, and uh, kind of you know what to expect. But I think a lot of that comes from a movie like this mm. that did it first, mm. right? Um, and you know, like the gruff old guy and. Uh, uh, and then like very unforgiving people and like it's just an unforgiving time and and just it, brutal in all the ways but at the same time just kind of like cheesy but i will say that if it hadn't been without this podcast i probably would hate this movie to be honest um and that's because like i can watch this movie now and look at it from a different lens and pick out it's kind of like it's kind of like listening to, you know, the Beatles for the first time hmm. where you you listen to them and you think, wow, there's so much mid range. There's no low end, you know, like everything is all tinny and and why are the drums panned hard to the left? Like, you know, and you forget that they had four tracks to do all of this stuff. And and the way that they got around it was with panning and and re-recording over things and busting things to track like they had to do a lot of stuff and i feel like this movie is a good example of that uh yeah 92 is not you know like six the 60s right uh but at the same time what i think this movie brought was something that no like other westerns at least to that point really had which was which was like two sides of a specific character that you really mm. see like there are there is a delineation a hard delineation in his in in eastwood's character in william that you see that happens goes from you know just this unsuspecting old guy who just wants to raise his kids can't even get on a horse you know like like to the most brutal individual you could imagine by the end but there is a hard line when he finds out that Ned dies. I feel like that's the line. I mean, yeah, like he shoots at that guy um, beforehand and, and everything, but he just does, he, he's not really in it. He doesn't want to be that guy again until he hears about Ned, if, I feel like. And 
And at that point, everything changes. And he goes, he becomes what he was before. And we see that now all of a sudden. I feel like that was one of the first times, at least for me, that I had seen a, a Western where I was waiting for something to happen and it didn't come, it didn't come, it didn't come. And then I thought, okay, it's not going to come. And there it is, you know? And then he just destroys everyone. <laughs> and I, I will say it is super cheesy at part parts. Like that shootout at the end is yeah. just hilarious to me. Uh, and 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 it it almost ruined the movie for me, to be mm. honest, because I'm sitting there watching this and, you know, I feel like I feel like um, Eastwood's performance is beautiful and and masterful in moments. I thought I thought the clip you played is a perfect example of that. Just being still like he has a great ability to know when not to do stuff and mm kind of did it first, you know, in the sixties with all of his, his other Westerns and, uh, was just a very stoic kind of player. And, and so, yeah, anyway, so I feel like his performance was fantastic and Morgan Freeman to Gene Hackman. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I feel like Gene Hackman came into his heyday for me when he's, uh, you know, in the hunt or in the, um, Crimson Tide. what is it? The, the Crimson, thank you. And Crimson Tide and stuff like that. Like I like an old Gene Hackman more than a young one i just believe it more mm. that's just me uh morgan freeman always just destroys it he's always the same age forever and always. <laughs> he really I, is, yeah. he's like the paul rudd of <laughs> you know uh like old black guys like i don't know he's just always the same and i love it i love it you know exactly what you're gonna get when morgan freeman is on screen and it's always wonderful um and he adds so much whether he's you know like the main the face in a scene or whether he's supporting whatever he just knows what to do and it's it's beautiful uh i mean you know everybody was really good i mean uh so anyway i thought but that last scene you know he's around how many guys that all have guns and all of them miss him but he never doesn't miss any of them it, it was just like really frustrating for me that one scene but other than that i thought it was just really beautiful well done a little bit slow at, at points, I feel like, but that's I'm I'm comparing it to today's films today that I like. Um, but again, pulling myself back to the early '90s and to making a film like this, I feel like it, you know it's you know definitely Oscar caliber for sure, especially in the early '90s. And and Eastwood just uh-uh. destroyed it. I know it was based on a book. I don't know how closely to the book they stuck. I don't but think. I, I hadn't heard that. I, to my knowledge, yeah. it's not. I think it's an original. What's funny is you talk about the how it's slow at times. I think that's what struck me the most on this rewatch because it's been ages since probably I was in high school. I think I watched it a lot as a kid. And then once I left you know, high school, never again. It's one of those films that was always floating around either at someone, you know, at holidays or some family always had this. And I was like, oh, yeah, we could watch a little Clint today. And so I probably watched this 20 times as a kid. But watching it now as, you know, a, a filmmaker, I'm like really surprised and at just how oddly peaceful and melancholy this is for a revenge film. Yeah. You know, there's this sadness to it, which is really fitting, of course, because of his character and how this isn't him anymore. And yet he's doing this thing that he he's gotten over and it it feels like a betrayal. You could there's all this subtext or this emotional depth to uh, Money's character because 
this is who he used to be. And it's thanks to Claudia, his wife, that he is no longer this thing. And now that he's going back to it, it feels like a betrayal. Like he's kind of betraying who uh, she believed him to be or, or the man that she turned him into. Um, but at the same time, he also knows he has to do it because of, you know, money reasons. Um, not, not to be so on the nose with everything. Like he's doing it for money. His name is money, yada, yada. Um, and so I was just really struck though by the tone of this film, just being so much peace. There's this serene serenity to it, you know, and all these vistas, which is classic cowboy western stuff right you're going to shoot a western you better have some vistas like this is all about uh the photography that's classic western storytelling um and i i love it for that but to your point like the 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 peace but the calm before the storm and they do these simple symbolic things in in the film like the storm right the storm rides in with them right it's kind of kind of following will um into into town and same thing with the drinking right? Will refuses to drink the entire movie. Like Ned is constantly pushing on the whiskey on him. He's like, you know, just have a drink. You know, you don't want women. Like he's just trying to get them to partake in the world a little bit. Um, and he's not, not when he's sick, not when he's cold, but the moment he starts hearing that Ned was killed and that's when he starts drinking because he knows right then and there, he's about to go back to his old ways. Now he's going to start killing again. You can't do that sober. And this film just has these quiet, so many quiet moments. So when I think the gunfire starts, it's that much more jarring and the, and the smoke and the, the, the crying, right? Uh, the kid yelling for water and he's got this really young voice. Um, and you can see how it's hurting Ned and Ned's like, I, I can't be a part of this anymore. William on the other hand is like, Man, we signed up for a job. This is this is what it is, you know. This is what we do. So Ned backs out. Then the kid finally gets a taste of killing. He's done. He's like, you can keep the gun. I'm never using that thing again. Like, killing isn't for everyone. And that's kind of what Bill was talking about. And just those long, quiet moments help punctuate the killing. Um, and, and the quiet, serene, peaceful music. I think you're right. It does kind of lull you into a, a false sense of security of, you know, I guess that's just not what this movie's going to be. And then suddenly guns start blazing and people start falling. It's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's exactly that. And then the up close personal killing of a uh, little bill, that's brutal. We never see him get shot, but I think combining with the story of the, the guy who gets his teeth blown through the back of his head, you're just like, you, you see it well enough in your head. Um, especially while you're watching Clint pull the trigger, William, pull the trigger, write it. And what's interesting about that edit too, to me is he squeezes off and we stay there. Normally that's the kind of thing you cut on shoot, cut to black, fade in the next scene. Instead he shoots and we just hang there watching him and watch him look at his destruction. Like that's pretty dark. The more you sit and think about what, what's actually happening in that very moment. Yeah. We're, we're lingering. The only extra touch they could have done, which I think because of the nature of this film, which I'll, I'll touch on in a second. The only extra touch you could have done is like blow blood into his face to really like make you feel queasy about it. But I think the reason they don't, and I, the reason why it is a little cheesy, cause you're right. I'd never thought about it until you pointed it out. And I'm like, God, you're right. It is like, there's just gun smoke. There's no, we never see bullets strike. I think in the entire movie, we never see a bullet strike. Uh, the only 
actual damage we we really see is the girl getting her face cut up that you see like you can see those those cuts kind of being formed and I, it's probably a little bit of trick photography right the the angle being concealed until he finishes uh, the knife stroke um but you see those those cuts you know get get hidden hit on under her face um and then throughout the rest of the film though like the kid in the in the gulch never gets hit we just suddenly see blood coming out of his his side after a few cuts but whenever he, that shot actually hits him we're looking at his legs and then we reveal it later and that's to build a little bit of wait did he did he get them are they done are they not and then other than that so the girl and then in the in the outhouse you see you see the guy get shot in the chest that's very you know clear as day it's still pretty calm for a guy getting blown open um but you do see that and i I think the emotional charge is the reason for that. Those are both emotionally charged moments. The girl getting cut, you're supposed to feel a certain type of way and you want that revenge. And then the guy getting, you know, blown open by the kid, uh, you want to feel his anxiety later because in the very next scene, he's regretting all his life decisions. <laughs> like he's like, you know what? I not only was this my first, I've been bullshitting everything up until this moment and I'm, I'm, I can't you know, do it any longer. I, I'm really not that person. I got to go. And so that's the only reason you ever see anyone really get shot. You might kind of see little Bill get shot and he gets hit in the stomach. But even that is there's so much cloud and smoke. That's not very clear. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm just really fascinated with your point, but Oh, the reason that I think it's uh, uh, a little cheesy is because at the very end of the film, and here's the thing, I think if you ask 10 people what this movie's really about, you're going to get 10 different answers. And I think they're all right. Everyone has their own perspective about it. And a really good story, this apocryphal story I've always heard about Hemingway talking about uh, the old man in the sea. Uh, someone was like, you know, people say your movie, your, your book is really about, you know, this and it's really about that. And he's like, I think if you just tell a story, honestly, you tell it as honest as you possibly can, it'll it'll transcend whatever you wrote and people can apply all kinds of meaning to it. If you just tell the story, honestly, and, and to some degree, I think that's what's happening here. And because at the very end of the film, anyway, one interpretation of this is that it's just a love letter because at the very end of the film, he, he dedicates it to Sergio and Don. And of course, if you are familiar at all with Clint Eastwood, uh, he's probably referencing Sergio Leone, um, who did all those spaghetti westerns, right? The Man with No Name series that he did with Clint, Good, Bad, the Ugly, um, et cetera, et cetera. And as well as Don Siegel, um, I might be mispronouncing that, Siegel, Siegel, but who, you know, did Dirty Harry, right? And so to some degree, I can see this film being a, a combination of both of those worlds, right? Little Bill being a reflection of this Dirty Harry persona, and then the Man with No Name being reflected in uh, William Money who's at the end of his life after having done all these crazy things and he's reflecting on it. And, and so it, it's really interesting from that standpoint of just thinking about this purely in that, in that aspect of this is a, a love letter to Clint's career um, and these different, you know, characters that he's played uh, that he's famous for even. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe that's why it's cheesy is because a lot of those old films weren't, all blood and guts, right? It was just a lot of smoke and editing famous for its editing, in fact, but 
And so you get to that final shootout and it's just, you know, pew, pew, pew. And he's just kind of <laughs> waving the guns around and uh, one guy gets scared off and gets shot in the back and it's, it's messy um, and a little, and yeah, pretty cheesy, I guess. <laughs> well, it's just, it's, it's like, you know, you have all of that, everything that happens. And then if I've just felt like they rushed through that scene, mm. the editing is messy and it's slow. Someone gets shot at and then like, a whole beat later they get hit it's it's really it's really bad in my opinion <laughs> really bad but i know it's important yeah it's like the the climax of the whole movie honestly so so that makes it even more frustrating for me because i want to i want to love it as much as i really enjoyed the rest of the of the movie up until mm. then and i just can't like i literally can't watch actually it's and and it's it's really only the actual shootout part i i was in it when he shot the the owner the bar yeah. owner guy Opened i was him in it i was up. like oh here we That's go right. this shit's getting Good. real yep. he is not he's not forgiven anybody uh, you know he's he's taking no mercy you know i mean he told people to move away <laughs> so he could blow this guy away he's like he's like i'm gonna let you know that in five seconds you're gonna be dead you know like and i was like oh this is in it and then that those seven seconds or whatever it was just were like what anyway um but i uh, some other things that i love mm -hmm. the setup for the character i i thought um was really i thought it moved pretty fast you know like i mean we open we open with a sex scene which is you know a thing and then and then with violence right and that it we open with the whole purpose of the movie it's mm -hmm. boom okay now now they they pull their money together and they're gonna whatever but so we open with the action and then we go straight to to um money and what is he doing he's corralling pigs poorly <laughs> he's not very That's good right. at this That's he's right. old That's important. You know, Yes, yeah, very important. He's he's dirty. He's you know he's old. His pigs are dying. Um, you know because they they've got the the fever paw, and <laughs> his his pigs are dying. His kids are little, right? And yeah. he can't do this forever. And he, he obviously has no money. His fence is barely holding together. What? <laughs> they got the fever paw. <laughs> they got the fever paw. <laughs> Um, and, and so, and so we're put immediately in a very uncomfortable position for him. Well, us, I mean, I feel uncomfortable just being there, but then for him, I'm uncomfortable for him. And then he gets a, a traveler whom he's kind to and gives him what, coffee or whatever, tea, whatever right. that is, yeah. gives him, you know, he's kind to this traveler who said, who's there asking him to kill somebody. I, I just thought that that was a really perfect setup of this is he's an old guy who cannot handle life right now. He has no money. He's trying to take care of his kids. His livestock is dying and his way of life is dying and he's got to make a, a hard decision. Also, I remember thinking when I was watching it, there's no way he can go. What is he going to do with his kids? What does he do? He leaves them at home. He says, I'll be back in two weeks. I mean, they were like, what, like five and three or something, four and two, maybe like and, four and eight. Is, oh, I'm, yeah. OK, because yeah. the little girl's talking and walking, but yeah. she, she might be three or four. Yeah. 
Yeah, she looks small for a four-year-old, but anyway, but uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Point being, this is a very different time in the 1800s, right? And even nowadays, there are cultures where people just leave their kids and they go off and they look for food and stuff and they'll leave them for days, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that really put me in the time that him leaving his kids saying, hey, I'll be back in, in a couple of weeks. If you need anything, you go over to uh, what was her name? Sally Two Feathers. Sally Two Feathers place or whatever. So all of that set up with him at his place was gold to me. It was like, oh. I see, I see a purpose for him. I see, uh, uh, despair for him. I see his situation that he has to find a way to get out of. And I see, you know, tough decision that he has to make. And also the way that it opens, um, to, I guess, before the sex scene, it, you know, just like the, the, the shot, the, the beautiful shot of him at the grave, digging the grave, I guess, because we never meet Claudia. You know, his whole reason for being who is is because of Claudia. And he talks about her multiple times in the movie. We never meet her. We just see him digging her grave. Right. He was digging her grave. I, I yeah. think, right. Mm-hmm. What a what an opening. And we're just watching a silhouette. You know, immediately it's a Western without having any idea of anything. You know, OK, we're in. This is a Western film. I see a tree. I see a sunset. I see kind of a cabin and a, pr- a prairie or a plain or whatever it is. Yeah, this is, we're in the West uh, without seeing any of the West. It's, it's really, really amazingly well set up for me personally. So yeah, that, I'd just say that. That was. Damn, that? nicely done. I think um, mm-hmm. going back to the, uh, the violence of the, the bartender uh, skinny or the restaurateur or what, whatever that is uh, saloon um, yeah. is really interesting to contrast thinking about the violence of the, uh, the kids shooting the guy, the, the other, the, the knife guy, the, the cutter, yeah. because the kid, and it's interesting just from a, a, a tone and directing standpoint, because when the kid shoots his man, there's a nice dramatic push in as he aims a long dramatic pause. And then the, the guy begging for his life, right? No, no. Cut back to the kid. Bang bang, bang, bang. Right. And then he finally gets into it and it, there's a time to move the sequence fast. Right. Uh, whenever you're doing something like this, a shoot sequence, uh, right. To highlight the breathless nature of violence or an experienced ruthless killer. Um, and there's also a time to let the moment breathe, right. The kid's been talking a big game up until this point. Um, and now we're kind of asking ourselves as we're pushing in, like, this is his moment. This is his time. Uh, can he do it? And let's remember this moment too. Uh, and the longer we hang out and build it up, the more we're going to remember it because he's going to be reflecting on it later. And then contrasting that with what, you know, William does with that bartender skinny. He does not hesitate a moment. There is no big dramatic push in. This is business as usual for him. He just clears his, uh, <laughs> his background. Like, Hey, y'all, y'all going to want to move aims. Bam. Like there is no pause, no dramatic, anything It's just, Game over, lights out. Uh, and that's a beautiful contrast in a real killer versus a, a pretender, a wannabe. It's really fascinating. Yeah, in terms of cinematography, man, the landscape photography in this is freaking amazing. Like, it's just gorgeous. They pick all the right locations. And then they highlight it with these beautiful moments of silhouetting, right? That There's so much contrast in this film, particularly at night, right? The blacks are crushed. There's no detail in any of those blacks. Um, they, they do a great job of retaining highlights. This is kind of how I like to shoot, keep the highlights, but 
crush those blacks and or at least get pretty close you know in modern filmmaking you probably don't crush as often uh i don't see anyone crush as often as they're doing in this film and all that means crushing the blacks is just mean uh you're you're not retaining any highlights or, or a detail in the shadows um and it's just completely pitch black if you were to pull that up on like a scope or something it's just completely you know clear um the scene when they get into town just to add to that the scene they yeah. get into town at when he's going to like kill everybody and he's riding in the rain with the the kid i mean i see almost nothing it is com- you're right it is completely i'm thinking how are you riding your horse <laughs> in, in absolute darkness it's crazy anyway go ahead it's so good but it also gives you a lot of opportunity for silhouetting and that's where you get some of these beautiful shapes right that opening and closing uh with the with the text um the titles and that's all you know just exposing for the the sunset or sunrise probably a sunset and just capturing all those beautiful reds and yellows um and whenever you're exposed for that everything else gets crushed way down especially assuming the sun is probably on the other side of the house just below the 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 horizon or something or getting close somewhere out of screen obviously but you crushing you know and and creating that much contrast makes silhouetting so much easier and it's a beautiful silhouette at the beginning right when he's digging that grave uh for claudia because later on when we come back to the 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 film we do another same exact shot except now uh they reversed it the 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 whole angle is reversed um and so now where the grave was on the right the grave is on the left and that's just fascinating because now we're going to go meet will and it's like he's going backwards. Everything that's about to happen in this story is about undoing what Claudia had done. And so the whole story is about to get uh, upended. You know, for William, from his perspective, everything gets reversed. Uh, and that's fascinating. On a cinematography level, too, the, I love anytime I, I find a, a split focus diopter shot. It's really fun. Uh, it's, it's interesting use. And it's usually pointed uh, in this case, there's a couple of them. One I think is buried really well in this campfire shot, but the other one that's not, that's very on its face and, and obvious is whenever we're watching Will talk to Delilah, she's the one who got her face cut up um, and she's offering him a free one. Um, and of course, pretending that she wasn't offering at all because um, she feels unlovable, unwantable um, now that her face is scarred up. And Will made that, you know, comment earlier, I guess, I guess I look like you now. And she's like, yeah, now she's got her feelings hurt offering him, you know, sex and him turning it down. And he's like, well, no. And so she walks away, goes and kneels down. And now we cut to this two shot where she's in the foreground, he's in the background, but they use a split focus diopter so that they can pull focus to both of their faces. And now doing this allows us to read her reaction without cutting away from the speaker. Normally, a reaction shot is a different shot. You're not really going to get to watch the the speaker speak and talk. Instead, you have to pick your poison. Like, we're going to watch him deliver the line, or we're going to watch someone react to the, the line being delivered and feel what they're feeling emotionally. And in this case, you get to do both. We get to see the sincerity of what he's saying as well as her receiving it. She's like, oh, well, that's a... I like this man. He's, he's got uh, something going on beneath, right? He loves his wife and that's why uh, he, he doesn't want to be with me. It's not because of how I look or my, my value or anything like that. It's, it's about him emotionally and she's connecting with that. And so we get to see all of that just because uh, the cinematographer said, you know what, 
let's watch them both and use this, you know, little device that allows us to pull focus to both. Uh, it's beautiful. Little simple things like that. I appreciate on a uh, story and writing level. This is some of the good stuff. I like contrasting the two killers that we have in this film, the two real killers, quote unquote, uh, which is Will and English Bob. And so we get to see their stories get told back to back. We start with the writer um, in jail with English Bob after English Bob got his head kicked in and we're watching uh, little Bill read the the duck and the whatever he keeps calling him the duck, the duck I says, <laughs> and and he's reading the story and how English Bob has romanticized and lionized his own evils to the writer Bochamp, and and little Bill is reading the story off and he's like, no 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 no, I was there, you weren't there, I was there the night he he shot you know uh, cocky whatever. Uh, Cochran. Um, and he sets the record straight, right? And he's like, none of that happened. This guy walks in, starts blazing at this guy, um, who has no idea what's happening and then misses because English Bob is so drunk. The guy goes to pull his gun and he's going so fast. He shoots his own foot off and English Bob fires again, misses cause he's still so drunk. And then, uh, finally, you know, Cochran takes aim shoots blows his hand off right it's a uh it's a misfire and it's a known failing of this particular model of colt and then english bob you know walks over aims blows this guy's head off um and the writer's just aghast he's like he shot an unarmed man you know and he can't believe it and so we're hearing the the fake story of how you know there was two to one and he was fighting for this this girl and it's like none of that's true this guy is just uh, a coward cut to campfire will ned and the kid and the kid is poking will hey i heard about this amazing gunfight you had these two sheriffs staring you down and you shot them both um and will what does he say i i don't recollect you know um he doesn't want to engage with it he doesn't want to relive it let alone lionize his own deeds. And instead at the end of that scene, what happens? Ned says, well, I remember that night and it wasn't two. It was actually three. And the, the truth of Will's past is actually worse than the stories that are getting around what this guy's done. He's killed women and children, blowing them all to bits. Like his reality is so much worse than what some of these other assassins are doing. And so, of course, English Bob is no match for Little Bill. And that's the next comparison, because it's almost not even a comparison. Whenever you're looking at Will versus Little Bill, I feel like this is just two sides of the same coin, the same kind of person. And the way they're living their lives are really interesting and different, uh, but also very similar. Because William and Bill actually have the same name. Like William and Bill are obviously derivative. Will and Bill are de derivatives of William, but... Literally in the credits, if you watch till the end, in the credits, they're both named Bill. Like we never hear, hear William Money called Bill the entire movie. But you get to the end and you read the credits, they call him Bill Money. As well as uh, wow. Little Bill, whatever, Daggett. And so they are just, a, if you're not catching it yet, watch the credits and you can literally see these are both the same uh, two sides of the wow. exact same coin because that's their name. And so to your point earlier, Will isn't a very good farmer. 
right? He's got these diseased pigs. They're all dying. Um, he, he, he's just not very good at this new life. Um, and at the same time, Bill is trying to carve himself a new life, right? He's left Kansas and Texas and all these wild, uh, rough towns. And now he's, he's just trying to build a nice house and he's, he wants to drink his coffee and watch the sunset. And Bill isn't a very good carpenter. He's terrible at this. Uh, this leaky crooked house, not a right angle in there is what one of those guys says. Uh, but they're both very good at the real jobs killing, right? Enforcing the law. And it's interesting because Will isn't proud of it. Bill is very proud of the work that he does. Um, and that's one of their differences, very stark. And then we get to the end of the shootout. This, there's this interesting other contrast that's happening. And I think there's others throughout the film, but the one that stuck out to me is after the shootout, the writer pops up and he says, I'm not armed, right? And what does uh, Will say? Pick up that gun. Now, the same thing happens earlier in the film whenever the writer is, uh, you know, taking all these notes and Bi little Bill is saying, you know, killing a man isn't easy. He pulls out a gun, slaps the iron on the table, pick it up. And so they're both do doing this very same thing of having the writer pick up a weapon, except they're very two different intentions here because for William, he just wants him to give him the gun. <laughs> like there's no ego involved here, but little Bill earlier, he wanted to prove his dominance. That was a whole show of display of no one's going to, you can't kill me. Like killing is very, very hard and no one can do it. You can't do it. And watch English. Bob isn't even going to do it either. Like offer him the gun. Now it would have been very easy for him to just grab it and shoot it. But you know what? At the end of the day, English Bob isn't really a killer the way Bill is. And so watching little Bill throughout this film is very telling. I think some people watch this bill and think, or watch this movie and think little Bill is the right one. Like he's, He's the one trying to enforce the law. He's not. Mm -mm. This dude's an evil POS. Two men at the start of this movie cut up a woman's face. They don't even get a whipping or any jail time. There's no sense of justice. Instead, little Bill just gives them a fine. You're going to give us not even all of their ponies. Yeah. Most of some you're, you're going to give four. You got six or, or whatever. It's like, what? And whenever he gets uh, reprimanded by Alice, Right. Strawberry Alice. She's the, the madam, the, the head girl in there. And what does he tell her? Look, these are, uh, God, just hardworking boys. That was foolish. Dude, God, I can't, uh, instantly. I hated this, this dude. <laughs> right. That's our justice system. I mean, uh -huh. uh, that's doesn't sound too dissimilar from other very similar situations. Exactly. Um, in, in the modern day. And so this was, Probably of its time, I can only imagine, and still of its time. Like, this is still relevant 30-some-odd years later. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And so him making that comment tells you a lot of what you need to know about his brand of justice. And so we get later in the film, not too much later, but English Bob rolls into town, right? And he lets these, these guys who cut this girl go... But English Bob gets beat to a pulp for bringing a gun. And as a warning to all the villains who would come here, this is a selfish display. He just doesn't want all this riffraff in his town. 
He wants to, he just wants a peaceful town for his own selfish reasons, not because he's actually interested in justice or having any semblance of a justice system. Um, it's, it's all of a selfish nature. And then he does the same thing with William money, right? He lies about having a gun beats him to a pulp. He's just trying to get the riffraff out, um, and also display his dominance. There's no sense of, uh, of justice going on here, which is also important when you start talking about deserve, right? Again, rewind to the beginning. Strawberry Alice, what'd she say? For what they've done, Skinny gets some ponies and that's it. It ain't fair, little Bill. It ain't fair, right? And then that story that we heard, that clip that we played at the beginning of the, the episode, Bill is telling, uh, uh, well, okay, fast forward. Bill is telling Beauchamp it's not easy to kill a man, then makes his point, right? Pick it up, cock it, point it. Couldn't even put your finger on the trigger. Will is telling the story um, about it's a hell of a thing to kill a man. Take away all he's got, all he's ever going to have. This is what killing means. And then you get to the end of the film. I don't deserve this to die like this. I was building a house. And what does he tell him? Deserves got nothing to do with it. I'll see you in hell. Yeah. Boom. And then we get to the very end of the film. And the very same thing, the very same uh, question that is posed at the very beginning of the film comes back. Right? There's this question of why did Claudia love William in the first place? Right? This beautiful woman from a good home who had prospects. Why does she love William? We get to the end of the film and her mom shows up after William's cleared out and she just finds her grave and it says, and there was nothing on the marker to explain why her only daughter had married a known thief and murderer, a man of notoriously vicious and intemperate disposition. There, there is nothing that there is no fairness. There is no justice. There is no deserve. It's got nothing to do with anything. That's why she loved them is because you can't explain it. It just is. She just loved who she loved. It turned him into a different person. Uh, there's no reason any of this ever happens, you know, and if the more you try to look for it, the probably more confusing it gets. Whereas, you know what? William had to kill because he had to. He That was his friend and he loved his friend. And that's why he had to go and kill little Bill. Um, that's as much justice or rhyme or reason as you're ever going to have. Why did those women go and put up a bounty on those two men? Like there, it's not going to get that woman's face uncut. You know, it's not going to bring, uh, any real peace to anybody. In fact, it's only going to make things worse. They, they did it because they had to, because they had self-respect. Even if the rest of the world didn't think they have any self-respect, they did. And that's why they had to do it. Like there's, there's only rhyme and reason where you want to assign it. And, I think that's kind of what's interesting about this movie is in this world, maybe literally, um, but maybe more specifically in this Western lawless land, there, there is no justice. There is no, the only justice there that exists is the one that you make for yourself. And and that's it. I don't know. Um, I, I don't feel like I have a clear answer. That's as far as I kind of get. I, I do like that. It's invoking this question of justice and morality and, sense of deserving um yeah i don't know what do you what do you got man no i i think it's brilliant i think it's spot on i mean and it's you're right i think that that is it that that you know the only 
kind of justice is the justice that you choose to exert because Ned wouldn't have been dead had Will not gone on this journey and brought him with him in the first place, you know, so and he wasn't even going for justice that he cared about. He was just going to help his his family. You know, he even said it in the clip. He's like, I, I'm not a killer. I'm not going back to the way I was. I'm just doing this for the, for my kids. And but if the if the women hadn't put out that, you know, that bounty, then even the kid wouldn't have killed one of the guys. So like. I get it. It leaves a lot of questions of if then. And I think that that's beautiful. And and in, when you said lawless, it it just made me think that, yeah, this did this does feel like a very lawless time where it, it almost doesn't matter if you're the sheriff it, because you could die just as easy as any of anybody else. Right. In fact, yeah. probably more so, you know, and if you shot somebody, not necessarily like it's not so easy to discover people to like like find people who have done wrong unless they literally catch you in the act like what they did at the beginning caught the guy cutting up the girl so it it leaves a lot of questions to be asked of of like you know is what does justice actually mean and at what point is is it to what point should you should you just stop you know and the should is different for everybody you know like obviously if somebody hurts somebody that you care about, you're probably going to think like, well, I'm not going to stop. Like, you know, I'm an eye for an eye kind of thing. But yeah, it's an interesting conversation. I think that's like really beautiful to ask because it's timely. It's timely now as to, as it was in the nineties, as it was in the sixties, it was in the 1800s, you know? So, and this war that Will has with himself hmm. is I think at the crux of everything because he is very proud of who he has become and not from any volition of his own because of Claudia. He's very proud of who Claudia turned him into. And he says it multiple times in the film and he doesn't want to lose that because that means losing her. But in the end he does lose her. And so returning back to her grave Uh at the end is like really a, just a beautiful thing for him to, yeah and i don't does that mean that you know vengeance you know you get what you you get um what you want with vengeance or you don't i don't know because he lost himself but maybe he found himself again by going back to her maybe not maybe he's asking for forgiveness and just kind of you know there and he's always going to be this killer forever or he at least has it inside of him i don't know i think it's a great conversation piece honestly it is brilliant for a movie yeah and it's so well written like i love that final conversation that he has at, right before he kills little bill right i don't deserve this to die like this i was building a house deserves got nothing to do with it and it's so perfectly reflected in earlier dialogue right the the earlier scene where they're at the campfire remember that drover i shot that blew his teeth out the back of his head he didn't do nothing that deserved to get shot and then later on, whenever uh, Will is talking to the kid and he's telling him it's a hell of a thing, killing a man, take away all he's got, like the house he's building, like the future he's trying to build for himself and all he's ever going to have, right? This, it's all tied in very much more tightly than it feels because everything just feels so spread out and sparse. Um, and yet 
it all stitches together to tell a, a really interesting, I don't know, blanketed story uh, that, that connects in, in an obvious way, I think. Um, well, obvious once you like see all the pieces together, but yeah, it is a good conversation piece. Like just to, you could pick out almost any character in this film and have a really interesting conversation just about that character, why they're in the story and what their journey is in the story. I mean, the, the, the madam in the, the, the house, uh, the Alice, strawberry Alice, she's like, why is she so hell bent on putting this bounty together? These women give up all their money to kill someone that didn't do anything directly to them. And it's like, you could analyze her and it's probably all accurate. You could analyze why, you know, Delilah left Texas to go, you know, be a prostitute in some random town and big whiskey. Like, why, what did she leave? What was so bad back home that she had to leave it for this? This is the better life. Well, probably not a lot of options for women back then, right? I mean, you couldn't own land. You couldn't own virtually anything. You get married, you give it all up. So there's just so many, I don't know, uh, perspectives that are lightly touched on in the film that give you enough to build out their reality that you could start to extrapolate who they are and why they are, why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. It's a really beautiful film um, in a thousand ways. And I can see why it won best picture, you know, for 1992. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I wasn't sure what to expect coming in because it's been so long, but I I'm really glad that we, how we long took had it been for you? God, bro, it's probably been 20 years. <laughs> it's probably been 20. Yeah. Like, it's so wild. But uh, yeah, watching this, I, I just remember still going to the movies. My mom had dropped me and my buddy Sam um, off uh, at the mall and uh, one other one other friend. And we were like, yeah, let's, let's go watch Unforgiven. I was like, we don't have anyone old enough to buy it. And I think you had to be like 15 or 16 to, to buy the ticket. And I was like, I was a really large kid. And so I was like, I'll just go see if they'll sell it to me. And so I told them to wait around the corner and I walked up to the box office and yeah, two, uh, three for unforgiven, please. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Please. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it was yeah, a big you know, and, and one thing I want to say, yeah, one thing I want to say is, is, you know, we, it's interesting, like, you know, I love sitting here and talking about movies with you and about it, particularly kind of older movies. I mean, this movie is over 30 years old now. And, you know, we sit here and we say, this is good and this wasn't good. But I just want to be clear to our listeners that like, like this is just an opinion and you could have a completely different, you could think this is the greatest movie ever made. And I think there's a lot of people that do. Um, and that's completely warranted. And when we say like, if I, and I, I just thought about this cause I thought, you know what, what if they would have cut out like 20 minutes of this movie? Oh my God, this would, this would to me, cause it gets kind of slow about, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, three quarters of the way through, I feel like, and like, oh my God, this could probably be my favorite Western of all time, maybe, but that's just my opinion, you know? So, so when we sit here and we talk about, well, you know, this, the shootout was cheesy or, you know whatever that is our experience from the films that we have seen and in the films that we love and the directors we love and the actors we love and the screenplays and, and all this stuff that is our opinion and everyone's entitled to their own and i feel like 
like what's important to me about this podcast is to be able to to actually not just say what I think, but actually believe it. Hmm. And I I think it it's so often, you know, we go along with what we think a lot of people think about a movie or music or a book or a TV show or whatever. And we don't stop and think about what we really think. Yeah. You know, I can sit here and tell you this Academy Award winning winning film from 1992 had some really freaking cheesy moments and <laughs> it took me out of it. And it was too long by 20 minutes and and all that stuff. And that's my opinion. And it's real and it's true and it's valuable. And your opinion can be completely different. And that is also just as true and valuable. And I'm not saying that I could have done any different <laughs> either. And let's be clear. This is a Clint Eastwood film and he is a genius um, at filmmaking. So this is, it's, it's just fun to go in from an outside perspective and say what you like, what you don't like. And I don't think that Eastwood or Tarantino or Nolan or Scorsese would, would dislike an opinion from someone about their film i think if you go it, it, like if you, i would never go up to <laughs> to tarantino and say dude uh i'm sorry but you really shat the bed on this <laughs> but i i could say i don't understand why you did this hmm. i i really don't understand it like you had me until here and then at this point he does this and i just don't get that because it doesn't reconcile and i feel like that would be a conversation yeah and that's what i love about this podcast and about talking about movies because of that, that it could be completely different for somebody else. I love that. That's such a good point because you're right. And day-to-day life, we do probably soft pedal our opinions. Like if someone likes something, the last thing you want to do is tell them why you hate it. Like oh, it's yeah. Such a, oh yeah, for sure. It can be such a mean and pointless exercise. Um, whereas here it's like, we know we're on the record um, to some extent, that's terrifying because the number of episodes, probably about 99% of the time, I forget something that I really wanted to say, or I'm editing and I'm like, oh, I forgot to add this point, or I referenced the wrong point of the film while I was talking about this other thing. And I just flat out get it wrong, you know, and it's, it frustrates me probably more than any listener out there that's like, oh, Wes, you said the wrong name or whatever, you know, and that's okay. Like we, we kind of take that and that's par for it, but we also know we're being honest and the, the freedom to say, you know what, if we're going to be on the record, then we at least better be honest about what we're being on the record about. Yeah. Um, and that there's something freeing about that to, to say, you know what, hopefully, and this is my big fear, honestly, is, you know, I, I finally make a breakthrough. I get something into Sundance and I start meeting with studio heads and I get to pitch to development execs and they stumble across, across my podcast and they're like, Oh, you hated Transformers, did you? Like, black this guy out. He's he's done. You know, it's like, oh man. But what about that other movie you made that I I just you know wet my pants over? You don't want to talk about that? <laughs> you know, it's it's such yeah. art. Whenever you're creating, is so personal. It's held so so close to your vest. I would never hold it against someone that didn't like my work. I expect that. Not that I want it, but. That's just the nature of creating. And as long as you're not like being mean spirited about it, I don't really care. But even if you are, I just don't want to hear it. Like it's not going to stop me from working with you if we want to create something. And hopefully, you know, that's the the attitude I run into more than anything because making 
257 episodes, I've probably said some things that might hurt someone's feelings, even though that's never my intention. Like, oh my God, last episode, I was kicking myself for days because I made this joke that did not land whatsoever the way I intended. Well, because we were talking about how great it was having Trent on. And I made this joke about, yeah, because, uh, you know, I have to, uh, we usually get 45 minutes of Todd frowning. Uh, and I was, the intention was Todd's frowning at what he has to look at for 45 minutes, not because, uh, Todd has a whatever face. It was like, I was, it was meant to poke fun at myself. And I was like, fuck, I completely no, I made get it, it sound like, yeah. And every episode I say something and, it's freeing though at the same time to be like, you know what? This is my opinion. Um, there are many like it, but this one is mine to go full metal jacket on it. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice. It's fun because you know what? This is a moment where we don't have to worry about other people's thoughts about what we think. Um, and it's okay if we don't like something and it's amazing if we like different things because that's the beauty of art because we all like different things. We all respond to different things and expressing that uh, maybe adds perspective to why someone liked something you didn't or hated something you loved. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's my final thoughts probably for, for the film. <laughs> uh, final thoughts before Recos. There's a strange kid in my car. Okay. Interesting. I don't know how that, I don't know what's going on. Sorry. Horse about that. thief. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, that was, that was just it that I, I love the idea of it being, you know, a question leaving us with questions, you know, like really heavy ones and important ones. And I thought it did a great job of developing characters into something that I either loved or hated and, and, um, uh, giving some finality to it, but also, you know, leaving it open to dialogue Thought it was really, really beautiful and well done. Dude. Awesome. Yeah. Um, nice. What are you going to recommend this week? So it took, I, I, I started this show and I stopped it on episode two and then I started it again and then I stopped it on episode two. And then finally my son was like, can we watch this please? And I said, all right, fine. And I finished it and I absolutely loved it. I'm going to recommend Loki season. I mean, I'm, I was going to recommend season two, but you just should watch the whole thing. Like Loki, the series, there's two seasons on Disney plus and uh, it's it's lovely and beautiful and it it goes from just like what am i watching and kind of slow and whatever uh but after like the first two episodes you're like you think oh actually this is interesting okay where's this going so yeah i'm gonna recommend loki dude nicely done i'll co-sign that man that, cool oh really okay that second season my god i'm oh dude i'm so glad that you think that because i had no idea what you thought at all yeah. and I at all. And I went into this thinking like, whatever, I'm just going to, you know, but a friend of mine said that it was his second favorite uh, MCU thing wow. uh, that he's ever seen behind Endgame. And I thought, wow, that's a statement, whether you are an MCU fan or not. Yeah. I mean, whether or whether you're a superhero fan <laughs> or not, like that is a statement. So I, I thought, OK, I'm going to go watch this. So. Yeah. I'm excited because there's a question I want to ask you after we wrap. Um, cool. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll continue that conversation. Um, yes. I'm going to recommend a new show on Hulu. So I guess we're both doing shows this week. It's called A Murder at the End of the World. 
That's by one of my favorite storytellers, uh, Britt Marling. So if you've seen like Another Earth, we covered Sound of My Voice and The AO on Netflix. And so she has a new show with her writing partner, uh, Zal. I I cannot pronounce his last name. So her, they teamed up together to just tell really good stories. Uh, and this one is called The Murder at the End of the World. I've only seen the first episode, so I don't know where it's going. I have high expectations to her detriment. Like I, she can't surprise me in that sense because I'm already expecting greatness. Uh, but I just love her tone their her imagination. Yeah. And so check that out on Hulu. And if you're, uh, stay tuned for next week, we're going to take a week off and then, uh, for the holidays and, uh, the highest holiday of all the, all the seasons is Todd's wife's, uh, uh birthday. And so, <laughs> And so when we come back, we're going to take a look at the new Ridley Scott film. It's a little, little indie project called Napoleon, um, with Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby. Very excited about that. And so stay tuned for that. We'll be taking a look at, and if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a review, leave us a note. Uh, we have a new request in the, in the queue, um, coming in the coming weeks. Someone asked for a, for an old Denzel Washington film. And so, I'm excited because I haven't thought about this movie in ages. And so I will let you know about that one in days to come. And so don't forget, uh, if you want to leave a note on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash unforgiven. And our quote of the day is from Victor Hugo. Being good is easy. What is difficult is being just. That is, that is, that is a beautiful, beautiful saying. It is. So Victor Hugo, of course, wrote a little story called Les Miserables um, that we've probably all heard of, as well as others, of course, uh, Hunchback. Um, but Les Mis probably has a lot to say about similar themes, about justice and fairness and overcoming your past, things of that nature. Um, and I love that, right? Being good is easy. What is difficult is being just. It Justice requires sometimes you to do things you really don't want to do. It's never fun, like growing up, you know, corporal punishment was a thing. I got spanked uh, a fair amount <laughs> and I don't, I never got the impression my parents enjoyed it. I would say, I know corporal punishment's out these days uh, and that's fine. I'm not, you know, for or against any of that, but the, there's that old Bible verse that Christians love to tout, right? Spare the rod, hate the child. And it's like, it's, it's never easy to punish your kid because ideally, and this is what my parents did, is you do it because you want to teach them a lesson, um, not because you enjoy hitting your child. And I never got a sense of joy or excitement from, and my parents never did it out of emotion. It was never like, I'm so mad at you, I'm going to hit you. It was, hey, things have calmed down now. Here's what you did wrong. Here's what we're going to do about it. You know, let's go. And for that, I always respected them. And it's not easy to do that as a law man to walk in and say, man, you guys have done some really bad things. I'm going to get a whip out and I'm going to punish you for it. And then we'll all be square. Even Stevens, uh, because he couldn't do that. The only time he, he, you know, exerted justice was when it was personal to him. You guys have entered my territory. I'm going to exert my dominance on you. He had a terrible community. There was no sense of justice. Instead, it, you know, being good is really easy. It's always easy to just be nice to people and react out of emotion because good, being good is kind of an emotion that you carry, not a sense of justice that you're carrying. And so, yeah, I don't know. That whole conversation is just really fascinating to me. 
that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, I guess the definite the the question there is what is just, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what is justice in general? Because, I mean, I'm I do not hit I do not spank or hit my kids, and I think I think that's different from mm-hmm. like just with a grown up, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So like you know with a like my son who's ten, he's the weakest little dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. like there's no benefit for me hitting him for yeah. doing something wrong zero now you know when he gets older there might be some other i would never do it but there might be some other ramification that somebody else mm. physically attacks him right and that may or may not be quote unquote just it, i guess it it just also depends on what the definition of it is you know if we're talking about justice like the law right and which i'm assuming that's what He's meaning here because everybody has their own definition of just. Yeah. My definition of just or Will's definition of just is completely different from from little Bill. Right. So what is just, you know, and then and then back in those days, you know, you said it earlier, you know, this lawless West and and everything like, well, we're not even talking about the law then. So it's it's a kind of a slippery slope there. So nowadays um hopefully like well not even nowadays i I, you can be debatable but hopefully the law is a little bit more buttoned up um in many ways uh not in all but in many and i think that this has a lot more bearing nowadays according to the law uh for me than probably it did back in the 1800s i would assume yeah you know well said yeah beautiful beautiful quote couldn't agree more so now we get to the best part of the episode. Yes. We're going to take a little little listen to a new Mad Valley track. That's Todd's band. This one's called All of Me. Sir, any any anything you want us to know before we hit play? Uh, this one was, um, I wrote this one kind of in the middle of the album. It was something that I, it wasn't supposed to be a song. It was just like kind of a, a thing I was playing around with um, on this VST, this plugin that I had. And then it turned into something really interesting and, and then I had, there's an intro with the song that I lost. I literally lost it for about a year. Oh, wow. And then right. Yeah. And then like right before the album was going to go to mix, I found it and I remembered, oh, that's right. This whole section was there and, and we weren't using it when we were recording because it's, it's about, I don't know, 25, 30 seconds long. And so we just weren't paying attention to it. I said, Oh, I want this in there. So I put it in there and then our friend jet went in and and played guitar on it. And he played the solo on this, this, uh, track, which is one of my favorite moments of the whole record is his solo. Um, because I remember getting the first mix back and I let him hear it. And he said, he said, no, 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 no. This is what you need to tell the guy to do. And he he had bullet points of what to tell him to do and it came back and it was perfect and it was just awesome and it's like the biggest sounding like the way that it comes in it's just so huge and awesome it's so great yeah yeah so it was a, a lot of fun and interesting stuff behind it but well let's take a listen all right
Then wake up every morning just for this But what are you working for? If nobody's listening to this Some people wait for the perfect time And I was terrified of missing mine But what are we looking for? If nobody's listening to us That intro is dope, man. Oh my god, the synths are those like reversed strings? What's what's happening in in that intro? Yeah, I, I this was when I first started getting into synthesizers, mm. and I I kind of like just had this four bar loop thing that I really liked, and then I put some fake strings on it, but I didn't like them, and I reversed them. So yeah, you're right. I here I reversed. Uh, so the progression was actually reversed. Uh, the chord progression was actually reversed. And so when I reversed it, I liked this one better. And so the whole song is like based off of the, those chords. And then it was just kind of boring. It was just kind of there. And when we were in there, I, I was trying to think, because my my friend Jet, who played guitar on it, I was trying to think, what songs do I want him to play on? And I had a few 
I had one or two in my head and then I thought of this one and I thought, you know, this one is way too pop for me. And it still is the poppy. Honestly, it's the poppiest song on the record. It's like so formulaic, but I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. the, like I wanted at least something like that because I do identify with that. But I thought, okay, let's, let's add a 30 second intro that has nothing to do with the rest of the song. And let's let him do some weird thing. Cause he's, he's a very accomplished guitarist and he uses really weird effects and stuff. Very Wilco esque, you know, um, and, and kind of stuff. And, and he came in and he played, I think three or four tracks through. And then there was this moment where he does kind of whale sound, this kind of kind of thing. And I thought, Oh my God, what is that? I love that. And then finally, when we stitched, um, we picked a few of his takes and we moments of his takes and we stitched them together. And I thought that's it. That's perfect because it doesn't feel like anything like a pop song at all anymore. It feels some, like something different, but it's going to be attached to a pop song. And then when we have him, his solo, it's this big, huge kind of, it kind of like rolls, like roars in. That also isn't, isn't formulaic for a pop song. So he, with just a couple of things, he took a pop song and, he, and made it into something a little bit different, a little bit skewed. So now when you finish it, you're like, that was a pop song, but that wasn't like <laughs> bubblegum. It was, you know, it was, there was some sustenance to that uh, a little bit more than there was before. So uh, just very proud of what he did. And, and for me, when I listened to my record, because by the way, I listen to my record. I don't, I, I listen to it all the time. I'm very proud of it. Um, when I listen to it, that's one of my favorite moments when that solo comes in. I'm just like, yeah. And I'll listen to it. Like if I'm working out and that comes in, I'm like, yeah, that's so awesome. So anyway, yeah. Dude. Thanks for playing it, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Great stuff. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh yeah. And by the way, thank you for all of the work that you're doing while you're doing all of these, these, um, uh, lyric videos oh, yeah. for me and and i'm tagging you in in um in youtube and everything and i they're just beautiful really well done and i'm very excited to see the take it all one. Oh my god uh, that, one's, <laughs> that which, one's intense uh i'm really excited amazing. about that one too um uh, for sure it turned into this from this thing that i was like oh i have an idea and all my ideas were just not working out they were crap and then Todd wanted to do that track for the episode. And I was like, crap, I need to find an idea that works right now because I've been working for a month on this thing. And all these ideas are terrible. Um, and then <laughs> I was like, I had been chewing on this. Uh, uh, it's a play on two things. The, the old Kanye West uh, uh, through the wire. Like I've always been fascinated with that music video and I went, I've always wanted to do my version of it. Um, and then combining that with, the uh, uh aha take on me um classic and i was like oh, i'd love to combine some of these ideas and and so i just kind of in an afternoon shot this thing in my living room that i'm excited about it's it's fun especially for you know a, a zero budget you know film dude uh, it's beautiful thanks, it's so well done and it, like I, I watched it several times. I'm just like, wow, I cannot believe you just shot this in your living room. It's insane. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. So we're excited once if uh, if we can get to that finish line and intact, yeah. like our hair's on fire and all that <laughs> stuff. But uh, that and then after that, dude, I finally think I know what I want to do for uh, the the dance video we were, we were talking about. Oh. I got to run a test, but I can't focus on the test until I finish this thing. And so yes. uh, finding time to sit and draw for, you know, uh, I think it's going to take something like 30 hours of drawing um, to, to finish it. 
it's all good, bro. It's, it's nice. Once you get into it, the question is, is my drawings, you know how you have uncanny Valley yeah, <laughs> where you're looking at uh, an imitation of a human and it's not close to being a human. And you're like, that feels wrong. Um, that's yes. how my drawing is. It's like, it's not <laughs> sketchy enough to be a sketch and it's too close. And so I'm like, I don't know if it's going to work. And so I'm, I might have to draw worse. Yeah. I was going to say take away. Yeah. I might have to take away or draw way, 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 way better. And so I don't know which it is yet. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so you mean my... you're just going to have to get as good as, as Ian at drawing <laughs> right. it immediately. Okay. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> just overnight. Yes. <laughs> so I'm excited about all these things. It's fun, man. I love uh, that you give me creative freedom to, to just, you know, play in the, in the, in the pen and uh, coming up with some of these ideas with you is like really fun. And so all of it to me is just great exercise of creativity and, when I'm working on all this other stuff, I feel so much, I don't know, I don't want to say pressure, but I definitely feel like I need to play to something else instead of just to us, you and I are the audience yeah. and the, uh, and the client for this. And so that gives me a great sense of like freedom, I think. And that's fun for me. So I appreciate you letting me play in your sandbox. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it's, it, if, if I didn't like something, I would tell you, Thank and you, you know yeah. that, yeah. you know, <laughs> but everything that you've done, it's been like, wow, that's really interesting and intriguing. And they're all different. And and they're all from a, a different space and they've got like an interesting thing about it that has something to do with the song itself. And, and, you know, I mean, you're a musician yourself, so you understand that kind of thing. And so I think that it, it, it just comes off really great every single time. So yeah, well done. Thanks, man. Thanks. Check the show notes, people. I'll be embedding uh, Todd's stuff as we get it available on each of these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, baby. Awesome. Well, this is a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Please subscribe, review us wherever you get your podcasts, share us with your friends. It all matters uh, more than you know, for real. Uh, join us uh, not next week, but the week after we'll, we'll, right. we'll be doing uh, uh, Napoleon. Cannot wait for that. Go check that out in the theater. I think it comes out on Tuesday or it'll be out by the time this episode's out yep. and uh, go watch some movies. I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. <laughs>